We're going to get into James chapter 3 this morning. But I want to start with a question. Have, have you ever said something that you regret saying? <laughs> Show of hands. Who's said something they've regretted saying? Okay, and, and let's just switch those that didn't raise your hands. How many of you have lied this morning? No, just kidding. <laughs> No, we, we say things we regret. There's things that, that I'll say that I'm like, why did I just say that? What was I thinking? And that's probably the problem, is I wasn't. And I, I didn't stop to consider the words. Careless words tend to be, be damaging words or, or harsh words. And so we say things we regret because things just come out and come out of our heart and come out of our spirit. They spill out and they... They just sort of splash out on people around us in all kinds of damaging ways. We know this week we um, memorialized D-Day and the invasion of Normandy and really that turning point that began to secure Europe in World War II and began to turn the tide of the, the war. In fact, it was considered the largest seaborne invasion in history. And, and it's, it's one of the reasons we call that generation the greatest generation because of what they did for our country and what they did for the world to, to combat the atrocities that were happening. But during World War II, one of the, the phrases was, and there were posters about this, and I, I wasn't there for those that, that are younger. No, I wasn't alive there, but I saw, I've seen movies. But one of the posters was, loose lips sink ships, Right? And the idea was a, a word that was spoken in the wrong way or a radio transmission that was intercepted or it was so easy that the wrong information, the wrong words would sink ships and, and just a few words could cost thousands of lives. And we see the power of words. This morning, yes, loose lips, maybe they sink ships, but they also wreck lives. And so James is going to go there and he's going to talk about this as we come to, to these sections of how practically do we put our faith into practice? What does a 24-7 faith look like where we are sold out to God and sold out to walking with God? And when we start to think of that, we have to think of everyday life and what do I do and is my faith influencing that? And so James, not just now, in fact, we've already seen it in chapter 1 where he's going to come back to it. James says, okay, let's talk about how we talk. Let's talk about our speech. You want to get practical? You want to get real? You want to, you want to really expose what's in your heart? Let's talk about how we talk to each other. How we relate with each other. How we, as a community, interact with each other. What we say when we're not in church. What we say at the job site. What we say to our family at home. How we speak is, is a significant re- revelation of how our faith is in practice in our lives. And so James this morning is going to go there and it's going to be challenging, I hope, and it's going to be convicting and it's going to be hard because he is reminding us of some things that we all struggle with. And so I'd like to start by reading the text. We're in James chapter 3. We'll look at 2 through 12 today. James chapter 3, 2 through 12. Turn there or open it up in your app. If you don't have a Bible, there's a black one right under a seat around you. We'd love for you to grab that and, and to follow along. We're in James Chapter 3, verses 2 through 12. I just want to read it. And then we'll, we'll tear it apart and, and dig into it. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. 
If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who were made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit to convict today and to reveal today what we need to hear. Lord God, I pray that you would use your word in a powerful way in our lives. That it would be the mirror that we look at this morning that You will expose things that need to be exposed, even hard things, because, Lord, we are committed to follow you. And we are committed to put our faith into action and into practice. And, Lord, if that means you need to reveal some things that need to be dealt with, do that this morning, God. Lord, help your word to exhort us and challenge us and then encourage us to follow you. Lord, we ask for your Holy Spirit to work this morning. In your precious name, amen. So we come to this text, and as you heard, it's about the tongue. And it's about our words and what we say. And just right from the start, I want to say, when we're talking about the tongue and we're talking about words here, we're talking about all communication, okay? So some of you that only text, you're not off the hook this morning. It includes the words you text. It includes the words you email. It includes Instagram and Facebook and social media. It includes the notes we write not just the words we speak. James here is speaking of communication. How do we communicate well with each other? And how does an evil fallen world and and our fallen natures, how does that influence our speech and how we talk to each other? If I think of just the, the big picture of today, our words are powerful to destroy or bless. So make sure they flow out of a heart for God. Our words are powerful to destroy or to bless, so make sure they flow out of a heart for God. See, we know words are powerful, right? We can use them to encourage. We can use them to discourage. We can build up or we can tear down. We can express joy or we can express anger. We can bless or we can curse. We saw that in the text. We can use them to teach or we can use them to teach falsehoods. We can love one another or hate one another with our words. We can be clear or we can be misunderstood because we're not careful with our words or we're not careful to listen. There's a story of an older man and his wife talking and the wife says, I'm proud of you. And the husband says, I'm tired of you too. (laughs) Just a few little words that probably are going to lead to a lot more discussion that afternoon. But we can, we can say things just offhand that are misunderstood or maybe we did mean and they're damaging. 
And so James start with, starts with verse number two there. For we all stumble in many ways. And we covered this last week, but I call this a hinge verse. It applies to the teachers that we talked about last week. But James is using it now to introduce the subject from 3 through 12 of, well, what about the rest of us in our words? And he says right from the start in verse 2, we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his own bo- his whole body. And James here is saying if if the tongue is an aspect of maturity. When it talks about being a perfect man, it's about being complete and mature. And that's the goal. That's what we're striving for. And as we learn to control our tongue, we're getting closer and closer to that goal of maturity. You know, we, we say that kids have no tact because they will just say anything. And, and as those of you that are, are parents in the grocery store, sometimes they say the most embarrassing things to people around them, just their observances of, of people around them. They haven't matured yet. They haven't learned how to control their talk and control what they say. And so James is saying a mature believer will learn to control what they say. He's a perfect man, meaning a complete. But then he goes and says, able to bridle his whole body. And he's, he's now starting to move to what he wants to talk about in verse 3 and 4 as he talks about the tongue. Because a bridle is the image of a horse and controlling a horse and controlling a horse's mouth. And so he's saying, if we can control our mouths, we control our whole body. And, and, and the Jewish people, they got this. In fact, even in the Old Testament, as they are coming up to, to Jerusalem for the Passover, as they're singing or, or saying the songs of ascents, part of those psalms as they're preparing to worship, as they're preparing to come into the presence of God, part of those deal with the tongue because they realize how important this is for spiritual growth. In Psalm 120, verses 2 and 3 It says, deliver my soul. And this is a song they would sing as they they were coming to worship. Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? And they're begging God, they're praying to God to take take care of their tongue, to take take care of their speech. And so today as we go through verses 3 through 12, we're going to look at four lessons James wants us to learn about the tongue. Four observations that he makes. And and these observations, some of them will be obvious. Some of them maybe will help us think this morning. But he wants us to understand the importance of controlling our tongues. And so he's going to do that by talking about just, just how important they are. How damaging they are. And so point number one in your notes, the tongue has an outsized impact on our whole lives, both good and bad. The tongue has an outsized impact impact on our whole lives both good and bad and really this morning you'll you'll get this morning if you can remember four words if you can remember outsized damaging untamable and then a fourth one that we'll get to (laughs) and revealing and those four words will help us just just understand this text but the first one is outsized and listen to verses three and four if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us we guide their whole bodies as well Look at the ships also, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. And James here, as he he takes the, the first point, he's making a point that the tongue is small, but the impact it has is huge, is great. 
And he uses two just real common examples to them. They would have understood these. The first is the bit in a horse's mouth. And I have a picture of what that looks like. Most of us don't live on farms here in in farming Orange County um, in the city. But you can see that bit. And there's a metal bar that actually goes through the horse's mouth that attaches to the reins. And that is what controls the horse. A horse is a large beast. It's a large animal, larger than any of us here. A horse that is wild is, is a challenge. It'll crush you as it jumps around. And, but when you can tame a horse, when you put that bridle in its mouth and hook it to the reins, now even the smallest member, I have pictures of all my, my children riding horses, and they can pull it to the right. And that horse, that huge animal, will go to the right. They can pull it to the left, and that huge animal will go to the left. And James is saying the tongue is like that. It's this small little thing, but it directs the path that we go. It, it, in so many ways, impacts the path that we go. It's able to control not just their mouth, but their whole body. The next point he makes is look at the ships also. They're large. They're driven by strong winds. And they are guided by a very small rudder. And I'm sure of a, a large ship. Now, this is a more recent ship. Um, it's hard to see, but down in the lower right, you can see the rudder just sticking out of the water a little bit. And that rudder is what controls and can direct that whole ship. This huge, multi-ton ship with one little piece of metal can be directed wherever the pilot wishes. And so James says that they're guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. And so James is making this point, and the point that we want to get is understanding our words seem so small They seem insignificant. They seem tiny, but they have huge effect, huge impact that can direct our whole lives. Right? I I think we know this in certain situations. You go in for a job interview to the career job of your dreams, and you just tank that interview with your words. Maybe you cuss a little bit, and, and, and maybe you're just really disparaging of the company. And Are they going to hire you? No, because you were stupid with your words. And, and that those, those casual comments, maybe you were trying to be funny, I don't know, those casual comments now haven't just affected that day, they've affected your whole career, your, your whole course of life. That happens. When we think of reputation, what is a large part of our reputation? The things we say, how we talk. And our reputation will open and shut doors for the rest of our lives. If you have a reputation of being foul-mouthed or being critical of others, there are are so many doors that are going to be shut to you because people don't want to be around that. Whereas if we have a reputation of speaking thoughtfully and intelligently and in a constructive way, That's going to open all kinds of doors. That's just career. But with reputation, we can think of that. It it can change your whole direction of service at a church. It can change the whole tone of your family. The way that we speak in our homes will change the whole tone of our marriages, of our parenting. And, And we, in so many ways, with just these little words out of our pound or two ounce, or pound or two of flesh in our mouth, we can control our whole lives, for good or for bad. Proverbs 21.13 says, Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue 
keeps himself out of trouble. And again, the idea is this little thing has an outsized impact. And so James is trying to get us to understand how important and significant words are. It's the careless, casual words that often get us in the most trouble. Because we haven't stopped and thought through. What did James say in, in, in chapter 1? Be quick to hear and slow to speak. He's basically saying, stop and listen and think about what you say before you say it. Because he wants to, us to know the importance, the, the, the significance of tongue, our, our words. Now, what's really interesting to me, a couple things about the horse and the ship metaphor, especially he's saying a ship driven by strong winds. In both cases, a horse is naturally wild, and a ship, when it's in a storm, in strong winds, will naturally be driven by those strong winds. And James is saying that these small items can actually combat what is natural or normal, that it, it can be for good as well as for bad. And if we can control our tongues, if we can let God control our tongues, we can stand against the stormy winds because the pilot is is steering, not us. If If we can control our tongues and let God control our tongues, then it's the horse that is tamed. The problem is we don't. We struggle. We struggle to use our tongue in the right direction. And it takes a lifetime of learning just to get better. But I would bet that even the the most experienced in life among us still struggle sometimes with what they say and still blow it sometimes with what they say. And that's uh, going to be James's point. That's going to be his point as we continue on through. Sometimes we learn how to control our tongues. Sometimes we learn the hard way, right? You say something that really hurts people you love and you're like, okay, note to self, don't say that again. And then after about 10 times of saying it again, we we finally figure it out. But our uncontrolled tongues can affect so much in a negative way. In Proverbs 18, 19 through 21, and, and, and this again is a proverb dealing with the outsized impact of the tongue. Little words, huge impact. In Proverbs 18, 19, it says, A brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city. It's talking about in our relationships, if you offend somebody and that isn't taken care of, that is worse than trying to get into a strong city. Quarreling is like bars of a castle. From the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruits. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. But it's just words. It's just a couple of comments. It was funny. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Do we realize the outsized impact of our words? And that's where James is trying to pound us and get us to understand this. Think about this. I have a son that's graduating from junior high this week. He's here, so I hope I can say this. What is the difference... If on that night I put my arm around him and say, I'm proud of you. Versus if I put my arm or my hand on his his shoulder and say, you know, I can't believe someone with your small brain could even make it this far. (laughs) Difference in his life? I'm sure that'll only make a difference that night and he'll get over it. 
We don't get over things like that, people. Careless, casual words, even if I mean it for humor, can last. We, we, we know this, right? We know, especially the negative words. You in the workplace, you can do a presentation and have a perfect presentation and get 20 people that praise your presentation and what do you remember when you go home? The criticism, right? The negative, the one person says, that was the worst presentation I've ever been to. Have you ever thought of finding your happiness in another job? Our words matter. And that's what James is saying. He says that in verse 5. He gives the two examples. And in in the beginning of verse 5, he explains, So also the tongue is a small member. So he's focusing on, on size here. Yet it boasts of great things. And boasts here, boasts, the, the word in Greek can be taken both positively and negatively, and I know we think of it as negative. Here it's, it's more neutral and says it, it does great things. It boasts of great things, and it should. It rightfully does because it has that kind of power. One author said, translated it this way, The human tongue is physically small, but what tremendous effects it can boast of. And that's a, a, a good understanding of that verse is, it has tremendous effect that it could boast of or that it, that it has. It can do great things, both good and bad. It's just a little muscle. But how did Hitler affect a world with that little tongue? That's why we memorialize D-Day. is because of what Hitler did with his words. What did Churchill do with his words? Huge effect to motivate armies and to motivate young men to give their lives. What did Lincoln do with his words? As he, he brought a nation out of the atrocities of slavery and stood for what was right and true and biblical. Appreciate the power of the tongue. That is James' first point. It has an outsized impact on our whole lives both good and bad. Then he goes on, and and his argument in this text is really building. And so the tongue, he says, has an outsized impact. It has a huge impact, both good and bad. But then in the second point, he says, but quite frankly, it's often bad. And and this is the damaging part. and, And the point there is the tongue can quickly cause great damage and destroy. The tongue can quickly cause great damage and destroy. We read in the second half of verse 5, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And we know this in California, right? We deal with fires every year, fire season. Last year on vacation, I think we drove by five or six fires. It was the, the smoke vacation. And we got to see some flames on the side of the road. And think of how some of those things were set. Just casually, right? Someone got out of a car one time and and lit a cigarette. One of the embers fell and hit some dry brush. And thousands and thousands of acres were burned. Another one, a golfer, was trying to hit a a ball out of the the side of the course, where I usually am, and, and hit a rock with his club. And the sparks from that started a fire that then spread to thousands and thousands of acres. Incredible damage because of one little spark. There's been cars that have had car issues or blown a tire and the sparks from from that have caused fires. Little things cause great fires. And so James now is turning to the damaging effect of the tongue. How great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire. 
What we say can spread evil that fast. We can cause it that fast. We can spread it that fast. And and so questions come, what do we listen to? What do we pass on? Oh, it's so fun to pass on good morsels of information. And we are spreading an uncontrollable fire through careless, thoughtless, sinful words. And that's one of the things to remember as James is in these two verses is talking about fire is he's focusing on the uncontrollable nature of it, the spreading nature of it. We get to verse 6 and we get several phrases, five phrases in a row here that all pile on about how damaging, how negative the tongue is. And, and this is a difficult verse to translate with where the punctuation can be. I'm not going to get into that this morning. We can have, that a, 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 we can have another discussion on that. Because almost every scholar said, yeah, it's difficult to know, but in the end, it all means the same thing. I'm like, well, then let's just talk about what it means. In verse 6, and the tongue is a fire. And, and he's saying it can be full of sin. It can be damaging. It's a fire, a world of unrighteousness. It's part of the ungodly world. It's informed by the world of sin, and it contributes to the world of sin. Now, now, he's not saying that every single word that we say is part of fire in the world of unrighteousness. But he's saying this is where the tongue naturally goes. And for every one of us, almost everyone raised their hands at the beginning, we can say, yeah, this is where my tongue has gone sometimes. I don't think anyone here is going to say that we haven't said some damaging words. And so then he goes on and says, it's a world of unrighteousness. It's full of the damaging sin. It's set among our members, thinking again, it controls the whole body. It affects the whole body, staining the whole body. And and what's really interesting is that word for staining is the same word he used in chapter 1 when he said, true faith, true religion is to keep yourself unstained from the world. So James, he's not going off in all these different directions. He's explaining what it means to be unstained by the world. Don't let your tongue stain your whole body with the world. And these verses have to be read together. They're tied together. See, we, we can so easily fall into talking like the world that we're around. Talking how people at work talk. But yet it affects the whole body. It affects our reputation. I remember working in construction in, in one of my first jobs. And I can remember the, the, the shock in my mind when the first thoughts in my head started to be the words that I was hearing all the time at work. I'm like, whoa, what is this? And it would have been so easy to start letting those out because that's what I was around. And that's the world we live in. That's the jobs many of you have. And so we we can't remove ourselves from the temptation, but we can have an anchor in that temptation of the Holy Spirit that says we are going to watch out for what we say. See, the tongue can stain the whole body if we're not careful. It can affect our whole reputation. Calvin put it this way, the tongue is a slender portion of flesh that contains the whole world of iniquity. Yeah, that's serious, and I don't think he's overstating it. Because he's just saying what James said here. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life. And that setting on fire isn't a good thing. That's damaging, destroying the entire course of life. And set on fire by hell. 
And if, if we weren't sure whether he was viewing the tongue in a negative way, that last phrase sort of, sort of seals the deal. He's reiterating that the, the, the tongue is powerful, but it can damage every part of our lives. And where does it get its power? Hell. From Satan. From the world of evil. And, and hell there, the word refers to the Valley of Hinnom, just south of Jerusalem. And rubbish was deposited. We know in the Old Testament there were... Um, human sacrifices made there and just just all kinds of evil there but by this point in the new testament the word had begun to be used for that that place of eternal judgment hell and he's saying our words when we are careless when we criticize when we say damaging things when we say things that are ungodly we have to admit this is found the source is hell it is so much easier to say i just i just misspoke It was just a thoughtless word. And it was, but the damage is from the source of hell. And until we realize how serious that is, we won't deal with our words. Proverbs 26, 18 through 21 says this, as he talks about our words and, and, and fire. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows and death, is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I was only joking. <clears throat> For lack of wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. As charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. And he says, the author of Proverbs compares what we say to fire and the damage of fire. He also throws in there, man, if you don't stoke the fire, it's going to go out, so stop it. I guess the question we have to, to ask ourselves with verse 6 is, do we really want our speech to be empowered by hell? That's a, that's a hard question to ask. That's what God's word is asking us this morning. Or are we going to give our speech to God and have it match a walk with God? Forest fires are devastating. They start with a match. They start with a spark. Fires that start with our tongue start with just a word. Start with, with, with just a thoughtless phrase. Maybe just a piece of gossip that we pass on and it spreads. You know, I'll use my, myself as an example here. What if, as the, the butt of these, um, what if one of you said, hey, I, I hear Pastor Ron sober today. You've spoken truth. And you've started gossip, right? A careless word. We can say things like this about people at work, about our neighbors, you know, you might, you might notice Susie isn't sitting next to Mark today. And you might say, hey, I, I haven't seen Susie. You know, I'm worried about their marriage. I wonder if they're doing okay. And just little innocent phrases like that, especially in a family church, woo! It'll spread like that. We must be careful, village. We must be careful in what we say, in what we intend it to communicate, in what, how others will perceive it. All of that is part of our responsibility with our speech. Be careful with what we say. You know, may, maybe it's lying. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's gossip, slander, fighting, complaining, or mean and hurtful words, or putting or tearing someone down. Do I really need to give more of a list? We know how our words hurt because we've all been hurt by other people's words. And if you don't believe me, guys... Dads, go home today 
And when you're tired and let, have let your guard down, just say, say a couple of critical words to your wife. And say a couple of critical words to your family and just see what happens. You'll believe me. Don't actually do that, by the way. That is not the application of today's sermon. It doesn't take much, but we grew up saying sticks and stones will, or sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And that is as false as you can get, especially as adults. And James is calling us on that lie and saying, your words are often powered by the very fire of hell. Be careful what we say. Be careful what we repeat. Be careful what we're willing to listen to. I was reading um, a blogger. This is a secular blogger, and she's talking just about her relationship with her father, but I thought it really applied. Um, and, and it's sad to me, but it, it really applies. And she bears her soul, and it was some of her words. She says, when she was about five years old, her father looked at her and offered a stern warning. You have fat potential. She writes, at the time I had no idea what he meant, but I could tell from his tone and the way he looked at me it was not good. I eventually learned what it meant and became obsessed with my weight. I was terrified of gaining weight. It took me many years, a handful of therapists, and even more self-help books to get myself firmly on the path to reversing the damage inflicted upon my self-image by my father's well-received words. Meaning she heard them. Now, I know we could say that she should have gone elsewhere for help. but uh, The point is, those words by dad had a profound, damaging impact on her life. Dads, the words you say in your home will directly affect how your kids and how your wife live their lives. You can speak life and you can speak blessing, and you can speak hope, and you can speak direction, or you can inadvertently destroy and tear down. Be careful. Now, I, I have to say, as, as I give the stern warnings from James, and, and quite frankly, this passage is stern. It doesn't have a lot of the balance in this. But the balance I would give you is, dads, we all blow it. And I've had things that I've said to my kids that I'm like, why did I say that as they're crying in the corner? And so that's where we have grace and forgiveness from our Savior. And we go and we confess to our kids. There is nothing more powerful, dads, than confessing to your family and owning it and asking for forgiveness. That's where the healing starts. And so it's not the end of the world if we say things like this. It just requires a response that is godly and knowing that the Holy Spirit forgives and our kids will see that example and and for the most part forgive and move on. I can't say that for every situation. But even in the sternness, understand the grace of God. And we know this. Words have wounded each of us. Maybe it's a parent that said something like that to us or a coach that ripped our performance to shreds. Maybe it's being teased by friends at school when we were young or, or, or that we were criticized for being too blank because kids will always find something. Don't let those things stop you if you're on the receiving side, but be forgiving. Look to God for strength. 
Point number three, as we get to verses seven and eight. The tongue is untamable. Taming the tongue is a spiritual battle that we cannot win by ourselves. Taming the tongue is a spiritual battle that we cannot win by ourselves. And this can be one of the most depressing sections of the text or one of the most encouraging and empowering things. And, and you'll, you'll get it as we, we dig into it. Verse 7, For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, every kind can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. And James here, he's referring back to creation. In fact, he uses the same categories of creation as the animals as they were created. And he's saying, we can tame them. And and the word for tame is subdue. It's not like you're going to have a pet tiger in your house. That's not the tame he's talking about. But mankind was called to subdue and manage creation, right? And that's the word that he's using here. We're called to subdue and be over creation. And, And mankind is. We have dominion over the animals, but then in verse 8, and, and like I said, this can, be, this can be a real downer of the text, or when we understand what James is trying to say and, and release trying to do this of ourselves and look to the Holy Spirit for strength, this can be empowering. He says, no, but no human being can tame the tongue. And, and the word order there, he is stressing no human being, no one, not one, can tame the tongue. He's saying that there is no one in this room that has mastered their tongue. That's why I could ask and say, have we ever said anything we regret? Every one of us. Because James is saying, it's every one of us. It's impossible. It is not within our human capability in our fallen Genesis 3 world. And it's a reminder to me that this is a spiritual war, not a physical one. I can, I can try as hard as I can, be as nice and kind as I can, and never say anything wrong. But if I haven't given a heart to Jesus, if I haven't given my heart to the Holy Spirit, if He's not changing me from the inside out, none of that matters. I'm gonna slip up because it isn't real. And, and so James is taking away, he's stripping away, I would argue graciously stripping away trying to do this on our own because it doesn't work to try to get us to focus on what does. And he says, you can't tame the tongue. It's a restless evil. And that, that word is, it's unstable. It's, it has the ability to say anything at any time and get you in trouble. Yeah? That sounds about right. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. And he's reminding us of the seriousness of the battle, the seriousness of the tongue. So James has said that the tongue is fueled by fire from hell. It is untamable. It is a restless evil. It is poisonous. And so if we don't do something about our tongues, we might as well leave a loaded gun by our bed without the safety on with kids coming in our room and hope nothing bad happens. We're to work to control it, but work through the Holy Spirit to control it. And we'll get there at the end. The last four verses... The tongue is also revealing. The tongue reveals who you really are. It reveals who I really am. It, it, it has a way of exposing the heart. It's a window into the soul. 
And for James, it's, it wants to, he says this will expose double-mindedness versus a single-minded maturity with Christ. He says in verse 9, With it, with our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. And he's pointed, pointing out how, how hypocritical we can be. How double-minded we can be. We do this with our tongue. We do that. And they don't mix. They don't fit. See, the tongue is an instrument of what's going on inside. We worship, and that's wonderful. We give praise to God. And then we walk out the doors and we criticize people and curse people and we talk poorly of others. He appeals here to the likeness of God, the image of God. And, And the picture here, get the picture, we worship the Creator And then we disparage and talk bad about the people made in His image. As C.S. Lewis says, there is no mere mortal in this room. Every human being in this room is made in the image of God. And so when I go out and talk behind someone's back, I'm doing that about someone made in the image of God. And so if they're in the image of God, then I'm, I'm disparaging God. I'm disparaging what He created, how He created it. And James is just really black and white here, as you've seen throughout most of James. He's like, this ought not to be so. Not, well, maybe, you know, what if they're really bad? Or what if I'm having a bad... No, it ought not to be so. We cannot bless God and then disparage His image bearers. And with blessing and cursing, we have the highest form of speech and the lowest. And it comes out of the same mouth. And it's deplorable. It's horrible. It's sickening. It's outrageous. Reminds me of the phrase, do you kiss your mother with that mouth? See, if we, we come and worship and then leave those doors and berate and gossip, then we haven't worshipped. Or we're worshipping the wrong thing. We're worshipping ourselves. If we come and sing, bless the Lord, and then go out and have a foul mouth, or, or we take the Lord's name in vain, or we're telling off-color jokes, or we're texting things we shouldn't be texting, that is disgusting to God. And it's worshiping self and our desires rather than the God who created the universe. One author wrote, in the use of speech, people are schizophrenic. That's about right. And and again, James is, is painting a bleak picture because he wants to shake us up and shake us out of our apathy and say, this is important to deal with. This is important to give to God. So then he uses, he goes on and uses a a couple of examples in 11 and 12. Does a spring pour for, (laughs) does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Is that even possible? And, and, And they would have gotten this because just 20 miles east of Jerusalem is the Dead Sea. And in the dead, you can be, and it's all desert and it's hot. In fact, this last week, it was in the 120s around the Dead Sea I was reading. And that's one of the reasons they're having some fires and things. And you can be parched and you're looking for water and you come on the Dead Sea and it's water. And so you go and drink. And, and it is sick and disgusting because it's poisonous. And, and he, so he's using this illustration of bitter water. And then there's some springs that feed into it, like in Getty where David hid that are freshwater springs that are beautiful and wonderful. But he's using that illustration to say, can a spring be both fresh 
and bitter water, salt water. No, what happens to the fresh water? It's contaminated, right? If I take a glass of fresh water here and pour a glass of mud into it, the fresh water hasn't made the mud clean. You're probably not going to drink that. And so when we bless the Lord, this is what James is getting at. When we bless the Lord and then go out and have foul crud coming out of our mouth or out of our fingers as we type, we are contaminating it all. And it's sick. And we all struggle with it. James goes on in verse 12, Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Or a grapevine produce figs? And he's saying the, the fruit of the tree tells you what kind of tree it is. The mouth reveals what's in the heart, reveals who we really are. We know from Scripture, out of the heart flows the wellsprings of life. Out of the heart flows evil or good. Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. If the tongue is inconsistent, there is something hugely wrong in the heart. The story of a Christian man on the job, he gets angry, lets loose with all kinds of swearing, and then he's embarrassed. And he said, I, I don't know why I said that. That really isn't me. And his coworker said, well, it had to be in you or it wouldn't have come out of you. Yeah. That's where we're at. So what do we do with this? How do we tame the tongue? And, and this is just, I just want to, the, the text doesn't really get into it. He's going to a little bit next week when he talks about wisdom from above. But how do we tame the tongue? Because it says, I can't do it. I can't control it. In fact, Augustine says, he does not say that no one can tame the tongue, but no one of men. And that's, that's a key difference. So that when it is tamed, we confess that this is brought about by the pity, the help, the grace of God. And that's the key. We can't just fix our tongue. That's not, that's not where our work should be. And so letter A there is we're to work on our heart and let God start taming the tongue. Work on the heart. Jesus says in Matthew 15, 19, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. Verse before that, but what comes out of the heart, mouth, proceeds from the heart. Do we want to start working on our, our, our tongues? On how we talk? Then start trying to have a heart that's close to God. Develop a love for God, a passion for God. Focus on the cross and the grace and the forgiveness of the cross. Let that overwhelm you and your tongue will start to take care of itself because the Holy Spirit will start to bear fruit in your life. But let's deal with the heart. We let the Holy Spirit living inside us control us. See, the horse, the ship, the animals, they all have something controlling them. And it's not to be us. It's to be the Holy Spirit. Love Him. Bless Him. In fact, we're going to end the service in just a moment by blessing the Lord, by working on our heart and seeing what that does. Letter B, ask God for help daily. Ongoing prayer and dependence. If I can't do it, then I need to be every morning saying, Lord God, help me control my tongue. Control my thoughts. Control what I say, what I communicate. Help me. I depend on you. Letter C, repent and ask forgiveness vocally with your mouth. This is, this is advice from just Ron. Although in Scripture we see reconcile with your brother. We, we, we see the principle in Scripture. 
what I have found is that when I say something offensive, when I say something that hurts somebody or damages somebody, if I discipline myself to go to them and verbally acknowledge that and ask for forgiveness, that is huge motivation to not do that again. That humbling of ourselves helps us deal with this. So repent and ask forgiveness vocally with your mouth. And let her D there. I would challenge us, let's work on speaking positively. And let's practice it with the Spirit's help. Words of encouragement, words of care, words that say we love one another as, as a church family. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And so, so here's what I'd like to challenge us to do. I'd like to challenge us as a church to take a 48-hour tongue challenge. Okay? Can we do this? 48-hour tongue challenge. And for 48 hours, starting now, so not, not a little later so you can get all your criticism out, starting now, for 48 hours, can we say nothing critical or negative about another person? Easy, right? So nothing disparaging, no gossip, no lies, not a critical or negative word. I was joking with the elders that that means at lunch, no roast pastor. Can we do this for 48 hours? If, if you mess up, then start the 48 hours over. Don't give up because this is something... Tra- but let's be intentional and say, can I be only positive for the next 48 hours? Can I make sure my, my, my words and my communication is all clean and pure for 48 hours? Let's take this challenge. Now, I want to ask next week, what happened? What, did it work? I'll end with this story. There was a family with some teens that, that I read about that had decided to make this part of their Sunday commitment. And so that one of their commitments is they would not criticize each other on Sundays. Now, keep in mind, it should be every day, but you've you got to start. So they would not criticize each other on Sundays. As months went on, they, they began to realize that more and more of their children's friends were coming over on Sundays just to hang around. <laughs> no one in the family had talked about their commitment, but somehow other teens knew home was a good place to be. What if village was a good place to be? Because we controlled our words. 20, 48 hours. Let's do this together. Tongue challenge. Lord God, our Father, we praise You. We bless You out of these mouths. And Lord, may we not have this dichotomy of how we talk here and how we talk outside, but let us bless others when we go out of this room. And bless You when we go out of this room, Lord. May You control our speech. May You control our words. May we give that to You. Lord, so that way our tongues aren't damaging. Lord, so that way our tongues aren't untamable so that they do reveal what's in us and they reveal a heart that's sold out for you. Lord, may our faith show in our speech. Help us to do the 48-hour challenge and see what you do as we obey your word. In your name, amen.